Parole Podcast brought to you by Alexandre Niamoyavoyi. This episode looks tense on paper, but it was definitely fun to chat with Monique Diabalo, whom I invited to share her take on the link between US politics and religion. For those who remember the 2020 US elections, tensions were running high, and I'm glad I took some time to publish this episode. Some of the questions are asked, is Trump coming back in 2024? What does freedom of speech mean? Christians versus the LGBTQ community? Should we be afraid of vaccines? Monique Barlow holds a Bachelor of Science in Special Ed and MS in Education from the University of Tennessee. She also holds an MA in Religious Studies from Georgia State University with the thesis, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, a history of transgender identity and what it means for progressive Christianity. This interview was recorded two months ago, and let me tell you what happened since. Cancel culture is still around. There is the Delta variant. Twitter keeps banning and censoring some accounts and faith habits that Twitter got banned in Nigeria. A transgender athlete qualified for the Tokyo Olympics. People get their two shots and some are still wearing masks and some are catching the virus. Benjamin Netanyahu is no longer in office. Canadian pastors are being imprisoned for holding church services. And a certain housewife is claiming that even culture can be fluid. Biden Jr. keeping his street cred by using the N-word here and there. But he's an artist now, so let's forget about the past. My friend Adrian, episode one, was the one connecting me to Monique. Merci de ch'ti. Our podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, Spotify, Anchor, etc. You can follow me on Twitter, Alex Boyi, and on Instagram with Parole. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to a new Parole podcast. And today I'm excited. Uh, I don't know if I can say excited if I'm talking about politics, but it is what it is. I'm excited to share with you uh, someone who knows a little bit more than Adrian. No, I'm just kidding. I'll dedicate this to Adrian. Um, so we're going to talk about U.S. politics and religion. Hmm. Monique Del Barlow, who are you? Hey, everybody. So I am uh, a recently minted master's in passing in political science, uh, but I'm actually in the doctoral program. Uh, but I just got word last week that my paper went through with no corrections. So yay uh-huh. for that. Um, I also have uh, a master's of art in uh, an MA in religious studies. And then several years prior to that in a past life, I also have um, a master's of education in deaf education. So I'm a, a jack of all trades and master of none. Over a lot of things, but. <laughs> well, I guess master of three technically, but. but Absolutely. Don't try to, don't be a woman. <laughs> don't try to, you know, to belittle whatever you did. No, no, no. Be like a man. No. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a shirt the other day that said, let me have the self-confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> Can I laugh? I don't know. <laughs> well, if, if, so, if stuff gets me in trouble, that will not be the one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a safe place. We love uh, every, everyone. Like, black, white, and everyone. So let me just start with your bachelor degree in okay. why deaf, like deaf and, you know. I don't know. 
they have acronyms in deaf culture. So there's CODA, which is child of a deaf adult or SODA, sibling of a deaf adult. And I'm a nerda, so I'm not even related to a deaf adult. I saw it one time as a kid and was like, that's really cool. I went to school at the, in Tennessee and the University of Tennessee at the time was one of nine programs mm-hmm. that had a deaf education program. So I was like, sign me up. And so I did. And then I, I finished a, a master's in that also and taught for a couple years and mm-hmm. then, you know, did the stay at home gig for a while. I also have five children. So I'm also a juggler. Wow. <laughs> Can we talk about that? There's always it's... stuff going on. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, many, many blessings. Happy is the man with a quiver full of arrows. <laughs> they said, the, see, you know, they say the man, they don't say anything about the woman. <laughs> I, love I love it. My mom has six daughters. So is it? Oh, wow. Yeah. And then it's, so it's actually, it's three and two, three boys and two girls. Okay. It's a good mix. It's uh, uh, so yeah, it's a good mix. And my eldest is almost 17 and my youngest is almost five. So Ooh. we've, uh, we've, we have three teenagers in the house. So pray for me y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Oh my goodness. Someone is in like, do they even enjoy sports so they can stay outside? So my eldest, uh, yeah. So fortunately they all really like being outside. My eldest is in, um, the ROTC program in his high school, which is reserve officer training course. So he actually wants to go into the military. So they've done, they've done wrestling, they've done martial arts, they've done a little bit of everything, but obviously with the pandemic, we don't really go out for lessons anymore, but you know, they're able to go and bike and play outside and yeah, it's cool. It's fine. Be kids. I try to limit the screen time much like everybody else, but the struggle is, is real. Cause, uh, <laughs> like mommy, I want to watch the, the news. Do oh know? yeah. That's what like, or the cartoons. I don't know which is worse. It depends uh, on the day. <laughs> Good. If we're having, if we're having a, con- a congressional hearing, then definitely the news report. <laughs> that's a good one. All right. So then you went on to like, did a master in religious studies. I want to know what religious studies is actually. It actually is a lot of things. Um, so I got my, my MA in religious studies at Georgia State and there are a couple different paths you can do. They also have a nonprofit management. Um, and then they also have like a, an academic coursework where you end up having to write a thesis and all of that stuff. And our department is really great because I would say that we have experts in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I took class on rituals. I took class in modern Islam. I took classes in Christianity, studying the Gnostic Gospels. I took a sport and spirituality class. There's one professor who does amazing work on indigenous religions in Central America. So I would say it's definitely a well-rounded um, education and I foolishly thought that when I was going to school, like, oh, this is going to answer my questions. <laughs> it did not. I have more questions now than I think when I went in, but at least I have a, th- a theoretical approach for trying to answer someone. <laughs> All right. Because uh, you could have gone like simple. I'm like, I don't, I want a bachelor degree, just, you know, and then the rest you'll find it in the Bible or in the Quran or I don't know. I get asked that all the time. So which religion is the best one? <laughs> and so this, I look at them and I go, 
yours? Yours? <laughs> it's such a different one. Okay. Because that's all people want to hear anyway. I mean, oh. you can get into, you know, they want to hear that, you know, their religion is, is the right one. And uh -huh. even if you told them something opposite, you wouldn't convince them anyway. Okay. Oh man, human beings, we're the best. But I mean, you know, everybody wants to feel like they're a good person and doing the right thing and doing mm -hmm. the best they can, given the knowledge that they have moving through the earth and you yeah. know not mess up too badly <laughs> you just want to reassure them somehow but i like your thesis like what was the name i'm fearfully and wonderfully made a history of transgender identity and what it means for progressive christianity we'll talk about that later on but just yes i like the title and i was like oh no at the end i was like no what is this because <laughs> as christians for those who know me know that i'm a believer in jesus christ meaning the bible is the word of god and my main standards though and the only standard actually so um so you're in you're in some good company then there you go so, there are a lot of people there are a lot of people that think that so <laughs> good for us because now we know what's the best religion there you go you said it <laughs> <laughs> you said that not me on power it's uh the word so in the beginning was the word and the word was god it's only in john it's not in the quran i'm making some friends around the world by the way uh so here i am i'm going to ask you to draw three pictures if you can the word before trump in terms of religion mm -hmm. obviously during his presidency and now i can say a bit after meaning three or four months in i guess now we're in when mm -hmm. you were studying and then you saw Donald Trump getting elected in the Republican Party at first, we were hearing lots of things about evangelicals and, you know, crazy people about cults going to vote for him because they didn't know much about what they were voting for, but just because they're pastors or priests or whoever was telling them to vote. I was still a Christian evangelical at that time again, and I still didn't understand what was happening in the US. I was like, this is, okay, Hillary Clinton is going to win because, I mean, this is... Okay, this is great. What did you see there as an American and academic, obviously? Well, I have to say as an American and as an academic, it was also very surprising for me too, because I thought there is no way that this <laughs> reality TV star who has been divorced two times, has a very sordid past, has managed to convince all of these middle-class Americans that he's just one of them. I was like, there, this is the biggest, there's no way this is going to happen. And like many Americans, the day after the election, I woke up and was very surprised. I'm one of those people that probably walked around a little bit shell-shocked, like, how can this person be our president? Because <laughs> at the end, you're just like, is this a joke or CNN is, because at that time I was still listening to CNN. And we don't have Fox News in Europe, so at least not the Fox News you guys have. So mm -hmm. I remember just being like, oh my goodness, Jesus is coming back soon because I don't get it. Like uh, <laughs> Brexit would, had happened before and having friends, like British friends were like, what is this? Like, where's this word going? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. And then as, as an academic, what did you see? You're like, okay, we're going to start studying this case, cases? Right. So I started the, the PhD program in 2019. 
Okay. Um, so we were, yeah, we were a couple of years into to Trump at that point. And initially when I went in the program, I was studying international relations and comparative politics. So my plan was actually to go into like conflict resolution. I was like, I have five kids. I resolve conflicts all the time. I could do this. <laughs> and then I started, uh, you know, and it's one of those things where I read stuff and it was interesting, but it just wasn't really that exciting. And then I read some things in American politics and it just really, I was like, this is my jam right here. <laughs> And then with my background in religion, I was like, wait, I can put these things, these two things together. This is fantastic. With the United States having such a large population of Christians, I, I guess it's not really that surprising that, that he became president, given the fact that, you know, liber uh, Hillary is, you know, a Democrat. She's very liberal. She's very progressive. And, you know, even if they didn't necessarily agree with Trump, they agreed with her less. Her lack of appeal, you know, for many people is she's just not a particularly appealing person, you know, because she is dynamic and because she's aggressive and because she's very well educated. And you reach a certain age where you just really don't want to put up with anybody's crap. And mm -hmm. so she's very much a straight shooter. And that's not appealing for a lot of people. They've done lots of studies on, you know, how women have to present themselves so, so much more differently than men. And she just is like, if this is what you're looking at, then, you know, you may be the dumbest person in the room. Nobody that's really not appealing as a political candidate. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Trump was really great at going in and being like, yeah, it's really difficult. Your life is difficult. You know, it's, you're doing the best that you can. It's not your fault. You know, it's these other guys' fault. And so, you know, really was able to set up this animosity between, you know, people who are very hardworking and everybody else. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, there certainly is some nationalism tied into that. There certainly is, you know, some Christian nationalism tied into that as well. But this idea of, you know, they're taking your blessings is a great motivator. And, you know, there, you know, there are certain things that improved under, under Trump, as far as like, you know, the economy and things like that. But I would say for the everyday person, it's really not going to make a difference that much who is the president, as far as like your day-to-day -day life, you know, oh. you're still going to get up and go to work every day. You're yeah. still going to struggle to make ends meet. You're still going to be doing all of these things. But for Trump, I think he really appealed to that desperation that a lot of people were feeling. How about, I, I, I can't remember who was in part of the team, who were the people part of the team of them for uh, Hillary Clinton, but I wonder if someone or pe people were like, you know what, just wear this red lipstick or more high heels. And you can see what I'm wearing. I'm wearing a shirt. So it's not like I'm into the girly girly thing, but just because you want to win or maybe because, I mean, you've been fighting for this presidency for years and years. You're mm -hmm. Obama, just because of his you know, background, had his time. Was it really religion or were just people because people just getting sick of seeing her name, you know, Clinton name all over the place and they're like, I just need to change. Well, I think for the most part, at least in American politics, we flip back and forth between 
liberal and conservative. And so, you know, when people feel like there's not a drastic enough change, then they'll vote for the other guy. And then when they get tired of there not being a drastic enough change, they vote for the other guy. You know, people vote for group interest, but but more so than that, you know, studies show that they vote for self-interest, what is going to benefit them as well. You know, it's it's not to say necessarily that they don't care about everyone else, but you know, when you're looking at your own checking account balance at the end of the day, you know, ultimately you're going to vote in your self-interest. And Hillary is a tough sell for a number of reasons. You know, she is a very dynamic person. She is very no nonsense. You know, she has, you know, as the secretary of state, she was privy to a lot of decisions and it's easy to you know, you make the best decision given the information that you have. And sometimes that decision is not a great one and that's the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they were able to sort of, of run with that. And again, there, there is definitely a, a double standard for, for women, especially when you're looking at, at foreign policy and military. There's always going to be this concept of, you know, well, she really needs to like focus on childcare and education because those are typically, you know, women's issues. Okay. When it gets to, you know, military and, and foreign okay. policy, well, she probably just doesn't have the credentials to do that. You know, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the attitude. There've been a lot of um, studies. Uh, Nadia Brown, I think, uh, does a lot of studies with sort of like media framing of female candidates. Um, and she does a lot of, of great stuff with that. I remember when uh, Trump wasn't elected yet, we were hearing lots of things coming from, you know, the church. When I say the church, it's, it will be the Christian church. You know, you should vote for Trump because he's the, the chosen one, especially this, was it Isaiah 45 or something like that? There is like a specific, I think it's Isaiah 45. And it's like, he's going to be the Cyrus and everything. Mm -hmm. had another part of the church that was like, let's just go for Clinton because it, she can be used by the church. We, you know, like any other candidate. And then when he won, I will say that the church split a bit, if not a lot, actually. So I was in Europe. I'm still in Europe. We could see this. Most of us last for maybe a week, shocked before, and then last for a week. But what had happened in the church really didn't change because for the next four years, up until the election and everything that happened at the Congress afterwards, I felt like it was just like dots you know, because my pastor told me this because my, I don't know, uh, a friend of mine who knows someone who works at the White House told me that he's fine or Jared Kushner is better. How do you study this? So that's a really good question. Um, and it's always difficult studying psychology and attitudes because mm. psychology and attitudes is something that's very subjective and very personal. So trying to get a measure of those types of things objectively can be challenging. But I think that's sort of when we get into some of the conspiracies that we see floating around Trump. Um, I just finished a, a paper on, on QAnon and how it's really taken over in a lot of these evangelical churches. And, and that's one of the things that you mentioned is like, oh, I heard this from a friend or, you know, I read this on Facebook or Twitter or Parlay or any of the other like social media and, and certainly, you know, Trump has not necessarily promoted the idea or pushed the idea, but he's certainly not hid from the idea. 
oh, well, those guys are, are against child abuse. That's a great thing. Everybody is against child abuse. Everyone is against sex trafficking. You're not going to find many people who are like, ooh, that's a great thing. You know, so he, he was able to promote this without actually promoting it. And I think that's, you know, some people actually had a conversation with, with my, with my 10 year old. He's like, Trump's so stupid. I was like, actually, he's not stupid. He is really, really smart because he has figured out how to say things without actually saying things. He is a, a, a consummate politician because he has figured out what people need to hear and how to make that happen. You know, you're talking about, you know, standing in front of the church. I think it was St. John's Church in Washington, D.C. with the Bible and just sort of standing there, the political statement that that made for a number of people. And those that love him just loved him even more. And those that dislike him were like, of course, this is so predictable. You know, so he's definitely found a way to promote that idea. And especially and and we're seeing it in a lot of white evangelicals and not everyone, but a lot of white evangelicals certainly feel like the there is an apocalyptic feel to this. And he is the chosen one who is going to save them from this. It didn't help that uh, Clinton was called a witch. It didn't help at all. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons that she started traveling with her daughter and her granddaughter and her grandchild, because it did give her that, that maternal appeal. And, and, you know, that's the, that's the thing, like no one expects the man to necessarily travel with his family. Like they want to see a family guy, but he doesn't have to be demonstrative in that same way that a woman has to be, you know, it's, it's very much like you have to I call it iron fist with kid gloves. Like you have to be hard and soft at the same time. Not too hard because you don't, you don't want to frighten people and because and, that's off-putting to be too aggressive. But then you don't want to be too soft because then how will you handle, you know, the politics of the United States? You know, are, are you going to get emotional and cry? Are you going, are you going to push a button and then start like World War Three because you're having a bad day? Like nobody ever asks this to, to the men. Nobody ever questions men's emotions. Oh, he's a strong leader and he was, you know, really, really yeah. sound in his anger, but a woman does the same thing. It's, oh, she's emotional. She might become unhinged. She doesn't go to church, so it doesn't help. Bye-bye, Clinton. We knew before that Trump was not a Christian per se as in not really like a church person. Not at all. <laughs> but he was able just, obviously, because we know, we know as a Christian, we kind of know most of the pastors that were surrounding his cabinet and everything. I know that most of mm -hmm. his cabinet were uh, Christian as well. I think for me as an outsider, obviously, it's, it's easy to say, oh, whoa, okay, at least you can say that he's crazy or he's you know, Twitter runs are like this, but at least he knows how to surround himself with the right team. You may think that Ivanka Trump is, I don't know, she's cute and, you know, she's there. If she's able to do the work for women, and I can't remember, for women, I think, women after work or something like youth and daughters, something with about women, something Jared like Kushner, with every file on earth, I think he handled... China, Middle East, US, 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 foreign policy, Africa, and then, I don't know, everything, Mexico. You could say like, oh, okay, at, at least he has something. And us Christians, we did pray for him, because I include myself when he got elected. I was like, I need to pray for the authorities. 
as I pray for the French authorities. How did the church change its view towards Trump and how you can, at the end, it was more like, ah, he's white. And I feel for me like the, the BLM movement kind of grew from there because now we were no longer Christians. We were like, oh, you're voting, you voted for Trump or you voted for this one because you're black and you because you're white Christian, not even like a normal citizen. How did you see that? If you did see um, a change in a way we interact among us Christians? Well, it definitely has become much more contentious, more so than I've ever seen in politics. And, you know, the first election that I remember, although I was way too young to participate, was Reagan. So <laughs> that's the, the first one that I have in like in my recollection of my parents voting for Reagan. So I don't recall society being as split as it has been over this particular issue. And again, I go back to white evangelicals primarily because that's that's what I study. And it is, it is white evangelicals because what we see is that, you know, even when you have black evangelicals or uh, other black Protestants, even black Catholics, you see them voting in a very different way than you do white evangelicals there is a difference and they tend to vote more along like democratic party lines, whereas white evangelicals tend to vote the Republican party line. So you definitely see a split in that as well. Is it more about the Christianity thing? Because if I can say two things about Trump, for example, that I didn't think he was going to, to, to tackle was the Middle East peace plan and the abortion. As a Christian, I am pro-life. I'll be like, you know what? Hillary is for for the abortion and Trump, although he is who he is, if he's pro-life and I am pro-life and it's important for me, for my faith, because mm -hmm. I'm not really talking about for, for, for people who don't believe in God. I'm only speaking about Christians, evangelicals, if I may. Is it how we vote or this, do I assume that I have to vote a Democrat just because I'm black and it just so happened that I'm a believer, but first I'm black and then I have to go with the Democrats. Well, I think if you're talking specifically about the abortion issue, that is enough for most people to, to sway their decisions. And I think the difference between a, a lot of evangelicals and say other religions, or maybe people who are unaffiliated with religions is white evangelicals tend to vote in a way, it's, it's a cosmic battle, right? How they vote has a lot to do with their beliefs about heaven and hell and, and this sort of cosmic war that we're waging. And I am going to vote in a way that is going to guarantee my way into heaven. It's a lot of that thinking. For many people, they do tend to feel like we are in apocalyptic times. You know, you, you mentioned Jared Kushner and this push to, to move the US embassy to Jerusalem and Israel. And most people were like, oh, that's a sign. You know, that that's a sign that we're coming to the end of days for this ultimate cosmic battle between good and evil that's going to be set in the promised land. Like this is what a lot of people are thinking. And so I think that's just a motivator for how people vote. And for many people, nothing else matters but the abortion issue. And so they tend to vote in a way that's for people that they feel like are going to support their own point of view. If you're a liberal, you tend to vote, you know, more of on a, on a pro-choice. Uh, pro if you're a Republican conservative, you tend to vote more of a, a, a pro-life stance. 
And for some people, that's all that matters. Where are the white evangelicals right now? Where are they standing for other than the QAnon? Where is the QAnon actually happening? How, how is it evolving? Because I've heard so many things that at some point I was like, Adrian, please stop. <laughs> just, just can't. But yeah. Well, as they say, you get you you can go down the rabbit hole in QAnon. <laughs> that's sort of one of their one of their little, I guess, uh, their their um not mascots, but logos is like the the whole like with the rabbit going down the rabbit hole, and and you can definitely find some really interesting things. And you know, for a lot of it, it's like you were talking about. You know, you hear these whispers, and you hear, oh, a friend of a friend, or oh, I read this thing. And, and when you're already feeling, you know, kind of spiritually sensitive that, you know, there is a lot going on right now, there is a battle for good and evil, then you tend to be more open to this idea because it helps you explain things that are difficult to understand. If you are spiritually crushed by the fact that Biden won the, the election, then it's easy to buy into a conspiracy that says, oh, hey, the election was rigged because it helps you explain those difficult things. You know, we have this idea of, you know, conspiracy theorists or these middle-aged guys who are unemployed living in their mom's basement, you know, writing these 300 page manifestos. And that's really, that's not the case anymore. Conspiracies cross party lines, they cross religious lines, they cross gender lines, they cross racial lines. And, you know, it certainly is, is easy to buy something that sounds like something that might have actually happened. For instance, in the black community here, there's a lot of suspicion against vaccines. Well, there's a history in the United States of testing on black and brown bodies. And actually that, that is true. I mean, we're looking at Tuskegee, we're looking at you know, different experimentations, stem cells that have been used from people without their permission you know, of black and brown bodies. And so those are things that actually happen. So it's easy to then say, oh, this coronavirus vaccination is a bad thing because I've heard that, you know, they're going to put a microchip in you and be able to track you because in the past there has been experimentation done on people. So it's easy to take those things that have actually happened and tweak it a little bit and make it sound like something that actually could happen, even though it's false. Is it going to be a political party next to the independent? And It's going to be a party for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not sure what kind of party it's going to be. <laughs> it, might, it might, it might be, it might be a wake. I'm not sure what kind of party. No, I'm just kidding. Because um, it looks I mean, like he has a lot of people. You, Trump, you mean? I don't know if he. Or I mean, people who were like, I don't trust. He wasn't. In, he wasn't impeached, so he definitely could run for president again, and that would not surprise me. If he, it, it, wow. 2024, I would fully see him hobbling up on stage, trying to really? run again. And, oh, I mean, look at look at how he he ran his reelection. This is not a person that's going to go away quietly. Even if he's had his social media accounts taken away, he could still he's still going to try. He even I think wrote a letter about the Oscars. So. He's still somewhat relevant. It's just that the media is just not the media as we look at it now is just not looking at him. But the, you know, there are definitely other 
you know, medias. We have a, a very vibrant sort of right-wing Republican. And we're not just talking about Fox. We're talking about, you know, Breitbart. We're talking about America's Own. We're talking about, you know, a lot of the evangelical focus on the family, like Pat Roberts, those, those mm -hmm. types of guys. Franklin Graham yeah. uh, has a lot to say about the Trump presidency. That's interesting. It's every news that I read because I can no longer follow CNN. I'm just saying. Breitbart, got, I got introduced to the website through Adrian. I'm just saying. You but know, I actually read all of it because I feel like it gives me a more, it gives, as, a, as an academic, it gives me a, a better idea of where people are coming from. And I grew up in, I grew up in an evangelical household. I was Southern Baptist. Um, so been through the born again experience. And, yeah. uh, I think I told you before that, that, uh, both of my parents are nurses and they work nights. So we had to have a babysitter and she went to the church of God and they spoke in tongues. That was a, a very evangelical church, mm -hmm. you know, Pentecostals, fundamentalists, those types of things. And so I feel like it, it sort of helps me keep in touch with that because so much of what I read now tends to be pretty liberal because, you know, on a whole, most academics tend to be relatively liberal and progressive, but I feel like it, it's easy to just laugh things off and just be like, that's, that's, that's stupid. That doesn't even, that doesn't even make sense. But I feel like when you're reading things and, you know, it, it helps give you a perspective. And, you know, if you want to research people, you certainly can't go in being like, well, that's stupid because yeah, <laughs> they would I, yeah. have absolutely no reason to talk to you. I want to make sure that in my research, I, I'm, I'm not elitist and classist in that way, because there are a lot of intelligent people who don't have degrees and can give you very good reasons why they believe the way that they believe. If we start saying that everybody's stupid, we ended up with, oh, for everybody who voted for Trump, they're all stupid or all racist. And I'm like, how, how come? <laughs> Can we just synthesize like the election through like one word? They're all racist. I don't know how you see that. For me, I laugh because obviously I don't live in the US, but for the political analysts and the experts out there saying like, you voted for him, not knowing the life that that person was leading or is leading. Well, I think anytime you use those hyperbolic statements of like always or never, you're, you're, you're going to exclude a certain amount of people who are like, but, but yeah. wait a minute, that's, that's not me. Mm. Or, you know, you can't say never because I have done this before. You can't say always because sometimes I do. Mm. I, I think when you use those, those hyperbolic, like very binary statements, that's, that's kind of problematic. Just because we were Christian and I, I still believe in the family that looks like this, a mother a father and kids, kids who respect the family, the parents, you know, honor your parent, your father and mother, so that your life will be long. And then I get to see things changing because, you know, it is what it is. But what I dislike when I'm reading, or maybe at the time, but at a time when I was still listening to some of the liberal views, was that just because I'm thinking this way, that I want a father and a mother, now I'm like either old school or I'm not projecting myself in the future because, you know, you can choose to do whatever, basically. And I'm lost. And I'm, I know that I'm not the only human being, Burundian woman, thinking this way. And it looks like in the U.S., as you said, it's like so many problems and tensions. 
And you can't even start having a proper conversation about what the family values are. You said that you remember the Reagan era. His values are like family, family values, values, values. And then nowadays it's like, obviously the homosexuals can get married. Uh, transgender is another thing. They just say that I'm American for a second. I'm lost. Honestly, I'm lost. I'll be like, what is this? And I'm 33. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm a hundred where I can say, you know, before it was better. And I'm like, where are you going? You're changing all the rules and you want me to think the same your way. And I end up following what Candace Owens is saying. Because the first time I saw her, I was like, who is? Because she, I, I have to say this. I saw her through a program, a Christian program, and somebody spoke about her. I didn't even know her. She was like, oh, you should check that out. And then she, I go online and she had just uploaded uh, this George Floyd 18 minutes on Instagram. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She seems angry. Like she looked really angry. But I listened to the whole thing. And I was like, oh, it's not stupid. And then from there, I started listening to her and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you, we cannot agree on everything because obviously I'm African, she's American, we have different views on some things. But the core is just family respect and, you know, how is this the U.S. struggling or changing? How do you see that? You have five that's, kids, that, by the that, way. That's a, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so I, I uh, definitely support the family. <laughs> um, there is definitely a place for the traditional sort of like nuclear family, like you said, you know, two parents, children, that kind of thing. But I think it would also be concerning if we sort of ignored how these things are changing, you know, because our family unit is, is changing, you know, I'm, I'm divorced, I've remarried. So, you know, there's also that kind of family dynamic when you work with a blended family and my husband and I have our, our youngest together. And so mm -hmm. blending all of this together I think a lot of the pressure for making all of this work is, is sort of put on women. Now, men, fathers are involved more now, like my husband is way more involved than my father was. And I think probably he's way more involved. You know, my father was more involved than his father was. Yeah. So we're also evolving to understand that we need both parents and whatever that, that sort of capacity looks like. But still, a lot of that unpaid emotional labor falls on women. And I think it's ridiculous to expect women to maintain a job outside the home and also maintain the full job of running a household, you know, without expecting other people to sort of step in and, and help with that as well. You know, there's all kinds of studies about the unpaid emotional labor that it takes to run a household. Not only do you make the meals, but you have to plan for the meals. You have to do the grocery shopping. You have to make the lists. You have to arrange pickup. You know, you have to be aware of when things are running low so that you can take care of that. You have to make sure that, you know, when there's a birthday in your child's class and they get an invitation, you have to take like, there's a lot of yeah. things that we just sort of take care of because... A, we just go ahead and do it, but B, it's easier to just go ahead and do it than it is to say, oh, hey, can you pick this up on the way home? 
I think that a lot more of that pressure is put on women without putting those extra supports in place. So, you know, I think that also accounts for a lot of the frustration and resentment that comes along in relationships when you have one person who's doing things and another person who just says, oh, hey, tell me what you need me to do. Look around, everything's on fire, put something <laughs> out. If I have to stop putting out this fire to point to which fire you need to do, it's just easier to do it myself. But, you know, I think that's, that's a lot of pressure put on families. We expect children to be involved in all of these things. There's a lot, I mean, it's not just one particular traditional family values or not traditional family values. You know, you have to have your children involved in the right extracurriculars so they can write a good application to get into college so they can get a good job. And, you know, it's just, it. we're just dumping more and more and more on without adding any extra supports. I don't know how you guys do it, to yeah. be honest. I'm blown away. Sometimes not well. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure because I'm like, um... No, Jesus, I'll have either nannies in Europe or in the Western world. Or I'll go back home with more nannies. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I'm really honest about that. I was like, you know, yeah. some days it is it is a total crap show. Like yeah. it is just life I, is is messy sometimes. And, you know, I, I a long, long time ago, I worked in a machine shop. And so <laughs> there was this thing where you can only get three, there are three things you can get good, fast and cheap, and you can only get two at a time. <laughs> so that's sort of the way I look at it. I have work, family and myself, and only two of those things is going to go well at any time. And so I've just reached radical acceptance that at one point, any one of those three things is just going to be a disaster. <laughs> and so I've just accepted that if it's a disaster today, it's probably not going to be a disaster tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, the kids are radical acceptance. <laughs> the kids are older now. They can that like, helps. I can help, but I can imagine like 10 years ago it would have been, yeah. Just because you were a Do teacher. Do not recommend. <laughs> yes. Just because you're a teacher. Can you tell us what is the future of education? Honestly, I have a couple of friends who were telling me about homeschooling because homeschooling is really something that's happening in the mm -hmm. US more than in Europe. And I don't think, like, I, of course, I, there could be some examples in Africa, but, and I was always, you know, struggling with having my kids. I mean, I, I play with kids, but I don't want to teach them all day, every day. And then you see what's being taught in the curriculum and you're like, mm, actually, <laughs> let me check this because let me prepare my future because this is ugly. As a teacher, what do you see happening? And as a mother, what do you see and are you afraid or are you just like oh we saw this coming 20 to 15 years ago and it's just what it is you know what I mean do we have to be alarmist or do we have to sit down and cry and pray I don't know yes <laughs> cry cry a lot just let it all out you'll feel so much better <laughs> Blow the so people. actually yeah the homeschooling movement is is changing somewhat so you know before homeschoolers were sort of like this fringe religious kind of crazy like ev super evangelicals or pentecostals i mean i know when i was growing up and i was at university you know we would sometimes have street preachers and they would have these gigantic families with them yeah. and all of the women would have very long hair very long skirts, very conservatively dressed. And, you know, we would occasionally have like homeschooling conferences in the town where I grew up. And it was like, everybody was a carbon copy. It was like these little nesting dolls. All of the, the boys would have like dress shirts on and 
khakis on or I don't know what you guys call them like pants like dress pants all of the girls with long sleeves long skirts or jumpers or long dresses and everybody looked the same and so this was sort of like a very fringe element but we're actually seeing a lot of progressive people who like you said are not necessarily comfortable with the curriculum that's being taught three of my uh, children are in public school and for the most part, I'm pretty happy with the curriculum. You know, there are some philosophical or theological issues that they bring up. And I just try to take that, you know, as a teaching moment. Mm. Uh, my two girls go to, to private school. And so they definitely get a pretty healthy dose of religion. And so I try to do a lot of, well, you know, what do you, what do you think? You know, knowing what you feel like is true, how, how do you handle those things? And, you know, there's a lot of, puritanical aspects to American education you know for instance like the sex curriculum here is very much like abstinence only obviously abstinence is the only way to avoid getting pregnant or, or getting a sexually transmitted infection but that's really not practical for a lot of people for a lot of reasons and we could spend a whole other hour going into all of those reasons having had to teach that also, and then also having to teach like health classes to some of the, the girls. And cause I taught high school, um, you know, teaching like the health classes to girls and sort of like some awareness it's, you just have to, it's very much like pulling out what you, what you need and what serves you and sort of like discarding the rest. It's like separating the chaff from the wheat, mm. you know, you, you take what's going to be of benefit to you you look at the rest of it and discard it if necessary. That's not to say that the things that they're teaching aren't worthwhile. Yeah, it's just I mean, that it might not serve your purpose. You know, they're also, you just have to look at the curriculum and, and be aware and decide what you're comfortable with. But education is definitely changing in that way. It is becoming more progressive and more liberal just because I think that that's one of the things that happens when you have this exposure to technology is you're exposed to a lot of different people and a lot of different cultures and you learn, I mean, a lot more about yourself. You know, you don't necessarily have to travel to go across the world. You can just turn on your computer and FaceTime somebody. You know, my son has friends in Algeria and Morocco and Greece and like all of these places all over the world that he never would have met without traveling 25 years ago. You know, now all he has to do is, you know, get on social media and everything is at your fingertips for better or worse. Yeah, that's true. And um, one thing I learned and I heard and I thought it was a joke at first and then I realized like taxpayers money's at work is to teach the kids five, six-year-olds you're for those who don't see you you're white uh, to hate their whiteness or something like that i realized like am i i don't know how to learn this unlearn learn i don't know how do you teach kids because it starts at the beginning you know when you're younger what do you see or do you read it the same way i do it's crazy so i haven't seen that myself i think and so um my, my daughter is Ethiopian, so we have sort of a, a mixed family. So we talk about race a lot because I think it's, mm -hmm. it's an important issue. You know, if I were raising her as a white child, that would be a disservice for her because she's not white and she's going to experience the world in a different way than say my four-year-old who is super white with, with blue eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, 
I, I saw, I heard a uh, Chris Tucker one time said he's so white, he's almost clear. <laughs> so, you know, she is, she is very, very pale. So we talk about race a lot. And, you know, I would say, I, I think that's where some of the confusion is coming because we're adding things to the curriculum. You know, we're talking about brown and black people. We're talking about indigenous cultures. We're incorporating this into what really has been a whitewashed version of American history. I mean, Rick Santorum just made a comment saying that, you know, there was really no native culture in American culture. And that's that's news to the 500 something native tribes that are in North and South America. Like, oh, really? We had no idea that we were being canceled. So I think that it's people are looking at this as like, you know, a cancel culture when it's it's really not. It's we're adding things to the curriculum that should have been added a long time ago. You know, you can't talk about American history without talking about systemic racism. You can't talk about American history without talking about the native genocide. You know, it's, it's important that we discuss these things. And, and I don't think it's necessarily like, I don't, I don't feel like it's, it's talking about, you know, trying to teach white people to, to hate themselves as much as to recognize that we come from a problematic history, much like any type of country that's participated in colonialism. If you start looking at it, it's, it's going to be very problematic and, and you have to sort of accept that as being part of your history and then choose how much you want to participate in that. And what do you learn then? Like, for example, Thanksgiving, what do you teach your kids at school? What is this all about? Because it's not about the turkey, is it? Well, the fact that I mean, I will say that, yeah, when my children were, uh, so they went to like, uh, when they were much younger, they went to like a, a morning program at the Methodist church and they did all of the Thanksgiving things and they had all the cultures and they painted their little pillowcases with all of like, you know, these little native symbols where you're white, you don't have a spirit animal, you know, like those, it, it was very much like, there is a very fine line between like appropriating and appreciating. And I think as like a two or three year old, more important is the issue that you're talking about it. You know, that, that there were indigenous people who lived here you know, they, they were helpful to the people who were coming in and taking their land and settling. And then, you know, they had their land taken from them. That's, that is, that is a very problematic history. So as far as like Thanksgiving, it's very difficult not to celebrate a holiday where the entire nation is sort of celebrating this concept of Thanksgiving and giving thanks, which in itself is a great idea, but you have to look at this larger picture of, you know, it was colonialized, it was taken, there was a mass genocide of the native people, there was an attempt to try and eradicate culture. There have been many Indian bills passed in Congress, and that's what they were called, they didn't call them Native Americans or Indigenous, but Indian bills where you know, children between the ages of like six and 15 were taken from their homes and, and put into missionary schools. And so, you know, they were punished for speaking their native languages. They were punished for celebrating their holidays. They were punished for basically being native. And so, you know, this not only mass genocide, but also, you know, the attempt to eradicate culture. And I think that you see that with a lot of countries that are colonialist in nature. There, there is a thriving culture when they arrive and then they 
decide that it's for many reasons not acceptable and try to get rid of it. To cancel it. <laughs> uh, to cancel it. Yeah. I have to I have to share to 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 talk about the cancel movement, although it's not a funny thing. BLM movement, you know, I am against BLM. It kind of is. Yeah. I find humor on a lot of things I probably <laughs> shouldn't. <laughs> I know because most of the time you're like, oh, not again, not again. But um, what is for you when you're studying the woke movement? What do you see? Well, again, I think it sort of goes back to what I said earlier about the curriculum. I mean, there are and just like everything, you know, there are a lot of white people who are appropriating this woke movement without doing the work, you know, without trying to find common ground and understand what it is that go that's going on. And, you know, there are a lot of people that find BLM problematic. There are a lot of people who are supportive of, of Black Lives Matter. And I think that this is what we see when we see a lot of these social movements. And that, you know, in the beginning, there is a lot of support. And as the movement continues on, we see that people are people, you know, very similar to Dr. King and the civil rights movement. You know, it started out as this sort of you know, mass peaceful movement. And then at the end of it, he was being investigated by the FBI. As far as like woke culture, being an educator, I'm all about anybody sort of taking that that motivation to, to learn more about things and, and understand that, you know, as Americans, we do have a problematic history. As a white American, having grown up in the South, there is racism. Mm -hmm. You know, as a child, I know for sure that I said things that I shouldn't have said, primarily because I didn't understand what it meant. And I have, you know, tried to go back and, and reconcile those things. I live across from Stone Mountain, which is basically a racist monument to the South. And it's got, you know, President Jackson, you know, etched into the side of the mountain. You know, there's, I grew up in Atlanta and, and East Tennessee, and there is a problematic history of racism. There's systemic racism, you know, and, and that racism exists now. And, and so I've, I'm hesitant to use like, you know, this woke culture, because I think people are maybe finally realizing, hey, there is a huge issue here. I need to find more about it. There are a lot of great books written by a lot of, of Black and Brown women that, you know, specifically speak to this issue. A lot of excellent Black and Brown theologians that, that write about this problem of racism and racism in the church. And, you know, I think anytime that you are willing to open yourself up and be educated, that's a good thing. Like for me, the way I see the woke movement from here again, from France, I tend to see that now, nowadays, if you say something against a woman slash a black woman slash, you know, and I don't like the term minority. I'm sorry, maybe because I'm from Africa and we're like the white, the black people are majority. I could still consider myself the majority. And now when you say something, when I say against, when you're not okay with the arguments, let me just clarify this with an example. Pierce Morgan, who goes online, and he says, I don't believe Meghan Markle. And he says, right, you know, and maybe because I've been living in France for so many years, Marine Le Pen, who is the national front here, can say so many things about Arab people, black people, go back home, you don't pay taxes, you should pay, like crazy stuff. We're like, oh, 
okay. <laughs> That's, but it's her right to be on TV to say things mm-hmm. like that. Am I okay to just change the channel? I, I have the right to change the channel as well. And I realized like the more and more the woke movement brings a place where you're on Twitter, you say something for Trump, you're going to get canceled. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know what I mean? Like you retweet something now on Instagram, I have friends. I'm like, this is a joke. Are we all going to get canceled? Or I don't usually post a lot of things, political things. At the end, you're like, this is a joke. You'd rather have um, a naked picture of a black woman on the cover of Time magazine for 2020. Megan something, Megan Stallion something, because I don't remember her name. But when we talk about Dr. Seuss, just because, you know what, like, and I'm lost. And I'm like, I don't follow Pierce Morgan, but I am definitely not okay for him to get fired just because he did say the Meghan Markle blah 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 that's what I see and I'm like this is scary so the way that I think about that particular I think are you talking about Megan the Stallion yeah 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 so there I think there's a a couple different issues so uh, first I'll go back to the free speech because as Americans we're big on our right to free speech we like to say lots of things. <laughs> and uh, as my as my 15-year-old pointed out, I'm sorry, 16-year-old pointed out, uh, you know, mom, I have I have freedom of speech. I said, that is true, but you don't have freedom from consequences. Ooh. So when you say something, you need to be prepared that there are going to be consequences. Um, there was a, a show here for a while called Duck Dynasty, and it followed the Robertson family. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they are not as country as they portray on the show. They're all very well-educated people. They just sort of grew their hair and their beards, their beards out because it was a it was a shtick. And the father got in trouble for saying some things about uh, his beliefs on gay marriage. Now he has the absolute right to feel however he wants to about homosexuality. But one of the consequences of going off on this tangent was that his show got canceled. Now people have a number of feelings similar to what you're saying about Pierce Morgan. You know, he called out Meghan Markle. He didn't feel like she was telling the truth. And then he got fired. He has every right to, you know, say whatever he wants to say. But there are consequences for those behaviors. And, you know, I think we are sort of riding the ship a little bit because for a long time, people have been able to say whatever they've wanted to say unchecked. And now we can actually go back and say that's really not necessarily the case anymore. You know, I think there is a little bit more inclusion. There's more awareness. You know, like I said, we're, we're going back, we're understanding now that we have an incredibly problematic history as, as white Americans. And that doesn't mean that I hate myself. That just means that I see that we have a, a whole country that's been built on the backs of brown and black people since the very beginning of, of settlements. I, I think the difference between Megan the Stallion and Dr. Seuss is that was a very calculated moment of self-promotion. And that is how she wants to put her body out there. A lot of people have their own opinions about that, but she is a grown woman making her own decisions. And there will be consequences for that one way or the other. You know, the Dr. Seuss, I guess, legacy or foundation looked at some of the books that he'd written in 1940, late 1940s, 1950s, realized that they're problematic. You know, we're, we're drawing people in a way that's very stereotypical. We don't do that anymore. We are choosing to remove these books from the catalog. 
his foundation made that decision. They're trying to like, and, and many, like when you watch a Disney movie where they have smoking, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. Hey, we know that smoking's bad for you. Don't smoke. But this movie was made in 1950 when everybody smoked. So yeah. all of the characters smoke, but you know, it's like putting a warning label on things. Dr. Uh, Maya Angelou is one of my favorite writers. And, and she just to paraphrase, she said, you do what you know. And when you know better, you do better. And I think we're maybe reaching a stage in history, I hope, where we're, we're lear- we're, we, we are knowing better. We're learning better. We're mm-hmm. opening up these outlets where we can have these different conversations and hopefully listening. You know, everybody likes to talk, yeah. but it's, it's really the listening and, and trying to consider the other person's point of view. It's, it's mm-hmm. hearing them. It's not just listening. But to come back a little bit on the Duck Dynasty, I didn't know it was canceled, by the way. I kind of knew uh, the family. But what if people will be like, you know, people who are following the show are people who have the same views as the family. And I assume there are still some. Why cancel this? That, that's for me, that's the problem. Why cancel the show just because he said something about the gays, somebody else will say something about blacks and the others about Hispanics. So... And then it goes on and on, you know, with Trump saying things, Iran writing things on Israel or any other country, but nothing happens. Uh, Robert Kennedy, I think it's junior, obviously, wrote something about the vaccines and that now he's canceled on. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not. Yeah, RFK Jr. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say that we have to have the same view that somehow I feel like we have to eat the same food the same McDonald's it's like a Big Mac and that's it and that's my problem for me it's like if you see some crazy things you have your audience it's fine <laughs> you know it's okay but to get fired or to put aside just because you have these thoughts where are we going do we have to just agree on what um, President Biden and Kamala Harris are saying why if I say, no, I don't trust her, and you say the same thing, you're going to get fired just because you're white and just because I'm black. No, but you know, like, um, it's this game where I'm like, this is too much, man. Like, you can't say what you think. Obviously, you can't at home with no electronics on. <laughs> you put everything in a fridge. Uh, it feels like, um, you know, I wrote, I read, sorry, I didn't write, um, 1984 many times, especially in high school. And I'm from Burundi enough said and I live in France and I'm seeing kind of the same feeling in the US and I'm like all these movements behind the BLM movement make sense but it's the organization and the way they handle the problem afterwards that really bothers me what movement I don't know as a Christian I really have a hard time I don't know maybe this show will be get cancelled just because you said that you're <laughs> yeah well, I mean, I, I think if you're if you're if you're looking at it from you know a Christian perspective, and and there are you know many kinds of Christians. There are some people who, you know, we call them red letter Christians who you know because the red letters in the New Testament are the <laughs> things that Jesus is said to have said. So we follow the red letters. Mm-hmm. You know, so it really depends on your theology and and how you how you make your decisions based on you know, what, what your belief systems are. And if you're looking at just, you know, the red part of the Bible, you know, he's talking about care for your fellow man and, and love and forgiveness. And, you know, I, I I think that it's 
really important that that we not lose sight of of those common what what should be like you know people just want to be able to move through their lives and raise their families and and not have a lot of controversy and and there's a lot of controversy right now with a lot of things and you know again it goes back to you know you do have freedom of speech the constitution was was you know built on this fact that you know people were persecuted in england for saying things so that was something that was really important is we want to be able to say what we want to say we want to be able to print what we want to say you know we want to be able to have these these rights well it's like spider-man with great with with great responsibility or with great uh privilege comes great responsibility right you know you you have to be responsible for this and when you mess up or when you say something that you know people find to be problematic then there are consequences from that yeah we'll see where it's going everybody's twitter is gonna get i'm sorry i have nothing against twitter but it is what it is they're doing good. i i am on twitter but i am i am very inactive in, in twitter there's just <laughs> a lot of problems there's a lot of problems in those 150 characters that <laughs> that you can get into <laughs> this is so true you like either like or retweet that's it that's that's it and so yeah of course because you did your master in arts on the transgender let me give you this background i think it was so yeah last year I saw a book on Amazon because I work in sports. I'm a sports consultant. And at some point, obviously, there was this issue that, you know, I don't know how to say it, like women becoming men and men becoming women. I realized like it was so unfair to the women, biological women in the sports. And I had to read books to understand what I think the idea of transgender was coming from. So I bought this book as a Christian, God and, trans- and the Transgender. At the end of the book, there's like, I'm going to say this in, in Australian, heaps and heaps of terms. And I was so lost. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know. There was even this definition of what is a woman. You don't have to define for me what a woman is. So I read this and I was like, this is not what is in the dictionary. <laughs> like, that's not the word woman. And it was written by a Christian person. And, you know, I was just like, I'm lost. So there was... I think out of 120 words, I remember cisgender and maybe gay and, you know, a couple of things that come up regularly. So this amazing guy was like, before we judge, let's just pray for them. I was like, yeah, I understand. But if you have to work in an environment where there's um, imbalance, it's a different thing. It's not like that person can become uh, an ambassador to a country. It's different. Now, by the way, we have gender running for governor of California. Do we call him, him, her as a Christian again? Well, I will call Caitlyn Jenner her, but I also will not vote for her. I mean, truly, Caitlyn Jenner is, by all intents and purposes, a woman to misgender or what we call dead name by, you know, using like Bruce Jenner, I, I think is really... At the, at the very least, it's not very nice. You know, Caitlyn Jenner, I, I have very different beliefs probably than you do uh, about trans people. And I will not dead name. I will not use somebody's previous name. I will use mm-hmm. by the pronouns that they want because that is their right to humanity, to be able to exist in the world as it is. And, you know, I just finished writing a paper about, you know, bathroom rights. And I was like, this is just such 
a basic like level of humanity and you know you have people who are restricting their daily intake because of fear of using the restroom and i will be honest as a straight cisgender woman i would be more afraid to have a straight man in the bathroom with me than i would a trans woman because we're just in there to use the bathroom wash your hands and go right like if there's a straight man in the bathroom there's a problem many ways francis solved this problem because you just have co-ed bathrooms and nobody cares but like for the U.S., it's it's we're switching a little bit to where, you know, we we just have like these unisex bathrooms. But it's just it's for me, it's just like a ridiculous non-issue. Just nobody cares. Go to the bathroom and get out. I Seriously. You, for those who have little girls, are like, I don't want to see. Um, but you, you have to acknowledge that it's a bit weird, maybe because you, but I mean, you have bathroom stalls, you have bathroom stalls like, like you know. Nobody's going to be standing at a urinal in a women's bathroom anyway. We're going to be going in and closing the door. And if she looks under there, we got bigger problems. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. But, Stop but, doing that. But it's funny. I don't know if it's funny. Was like I don't know if I've seen that much thing uh, transgender like toilets here. I don't think so because I don't know. It's just a unisex bathroom. It's just man, woman, anybody. Anybody, anybody. to use the bathroom, use that bathroom. <laughs> but the problem for, for, I think, Christians, because on your thesis, it's I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. For those who don't know, it's a Bible verse that we all Christians use when, you know, blessing ourselves, I guess. And we want to be reminded how God really made us how do you like that's what i thought like was really interesting was like how do you mix the two if mixing is the word or how do you balance it you know what i mean because you do have transgender who are who believe in god Mm -hmm. so that's another thing that's another layer where you're like i didn't even say gay i say transgender so there are like so many layers on this where i'm like well and there are a, a lot of people in the you know just at the lgp the lgp so lesbian gay bisexual who do believe in and god also and there is a a church in the area where they lost their charter with the southern baptist convention because they were willing to accept people into their into their church because the minister said that he was approached by a gay couple who said, if we go to your church, will we be welcome? And he said, I had to decide that my spirit of hospitality as a Christian, welcoming them into the church far outweighed any sin that God would have seen as them being a homosexual. And if you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of people committing various types of sex acts Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because the angels were not welcomed into the home it was a hospitality issue it was not a sexuality issue and that's certainly you know one way that you can interpret Sodom and Gomorrah and that's the way that I choose to interpret it is it's a question of you know hospitality and being welcomed to strangers and you know welcoming people who are into the home as far as like my I have, you know, probably very different personal beliefs than a lot of other people. As far as like what somebody else does, I don't really feel like it's any of my business because, you know, at the end of their time, they're going to have to be the one who, you know, is responsible for their actions. And I'm going to have to be responsible for mine. And I would much rather maintain this, you know, this feeling of love and acceptance because, if you want people to see your point of view, you need to be loving and accepting. You can't 
you can't criticize them with one hand and bless them with the other. I'm speaking about the trans uh, transgender specifically. Mm -hmm. Just because it's an un unknown world or way of living, you know, and it's most of us, I don't know any personal friend or close related person who is uh, transgender. So you are the fact that it's something that I don't know. So I don't want to use hate. You know what I mean? It's like, I think that's what happened with the black communities at first. You're like, you don't know them, so you hate them. Or, and then you sit down one day, you have a beer, and then you realize there are normal people. To welcome them, the hospitality that you talk about, it is true. But do I have to accept the way of life when their way of life is so different from what the word of God is telling me? And it's not because they are transgender. They could be, you know, some people have a couple of girls when they're married, for example, you know, same thing. It's sinning. And do I have to approve? Do I have to sit down and be like, okay, Monique, live your life. It's a free world. Da, 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 da. As a non-believer, I could be saying the same thing. But as a believer, it bothers me to say like, when I know what the word of God says. So that's why I'm trying to say like, most of the people I think they haven't seen transgender. At my church, we've seen one and we've welcomed him because I can't see her. It, it still really bothers me. And as much as I will try, uh, it still bothers me when I know you're a man. I know you're a man. I'll call you Bruce. Obviously not in your face. Not, it's not like I'm going to meet um, possibly future governor <laughs> Jenner. But it really bothers me, not because I want to fight your way of thinking, but because you really deep down as a Burundian, as a believer, doesn't make sense. Does it make sense, Monique, before you kill me? <laughs> it, it makes sense what you're saying. And we can sit and discuss for like six, seven, eight hours. And I'm still going to have my beliefs. And okay, you're then. still going to have your beliefs. <laughs> At least you, know, you understand where I'm coming from. It's not like, oh. No, I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from. And it's the same place that a lot of people are coming from. But transgender ha people have existed from the beginning of time. We just haven't necessarily had a vocabulary for them. There have always been people who have represented, you know, have, have been, that's the thing with gender, you know, society tells us how women should behave. Society tells us how men behaves. And, you know, when those don't match up with our ideals, there's going to be some friction. I mean, even if you just look back on something as ridiculous as like the first time women wore pants, you know, how like cataclysmic people thought that was going to be and the world was ending because women are wearing <laughs> pants and there's like the end of the, the family unit right there there is women wearing pants what now are they going to get jobs outside the home you're like where does it stop trans people have existed from the beginning of time we just haven't necessarily had vocabulary for that you know it's like and it's you made a good point when you said you know then you sit down and you have a beer and you're like oh hey you know you're not as bad as i thought you were mm -hmm. hey we have some of these commonalities anybody that you meet you're not going to agree with everything that they do and say even if you do have similar upbringing, similar faith-based systems, you're still not going to agree with everything that, that they have to say. Your brother, loving your sister, I don't think you're going to find very many people who are going to push back on that particular idea. And it's, it's not our place to judge. You know, sin is a sin. There's not necessarily one that, just like you were saying, you know, the, 
the guy that has two or three girlfriends on the side and is committing adultery. Okay, well, is that a worse sin than than this? Is it a, is it a better sin? Like sin is sin. There are very few things that are like, you know, if you're looking at the Ten Commandments, okay, those are probably the top ten things that you should or should not do. It do not commit adultery, you know, do not commit murder, honor your parents. It says nothing about homosexuality. So for me, for being trans, so for me, like I'm looking at the Ten Commandments, those are like the, you know, if you have a pyramid, like those are the ones that are out there for me as to like which ones, you know, do I follow. The next ones for me would be like, you know, the red letter, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the sick, you know, and and I think that's where we start seeing this progressive evangelical, this progressive Christianity come from, you know, and it really sort of evolved out of the AIDS crisis. And I'm old enough to have really lived through a lot of that was this, this sort of like pulling of, you know, my church is telling me that homosexuality is wrong, but my God is telling me to care for people and to, to minister to the sick and like, where, where do I go? And so many people, you know, chose to, to, to minister to the sick and take care of, of the poor and hungry. So I don't have any answers for you. I just have a lot of opinions. That's, that's one thing. That's cool. Uh, I wouldn't finish this episode without asking you about your work on the vaccine, obviously. And because it was, (laughs) Africans have been tested for a lot of things. And as an African, I'm like, "Mm, no, thank you take your turn whoever wants to go there and plus friends are really far behind i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm proud of you friends for being behind so wait until you see what's happening out elsewhere but i feel like it's something you know just give me two years if ever because i've seen what's in some of the vaccines and i'm not really excited and, and that is a problem for uh, a lot of Christians is the fact that, you know, some of these, you know, some of these cell lines, these fetal cell lines were used in research and development. And yeah, I did write uh, an article on uh, Christian nationalism and sort of like this hesitancy to, to vaccinate. And, and that is one of the reasons. And you have to look at the fact that these cell lines are 50 years old. You know, they're not taking freshly aborted cells and experimenting on it and doing things from like fetal tissue. You know, these, these are not like, it's not fresh fetal tissue. You know, we're not taking cells from aborted fetuses and, and using them. These are, these are fetal cells that have been replicated from, I think the 1970s and 1980s in Norway. And for some people it matters. And for some people it doesn't matter. And so, you know, there are a couple of the vaccines that didn't use any fetal cell lines. So, you know, some churches have said in the case of life and death, if you are looking at getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine and you need it to sort of help like protect your own life, because if you're looking at, you know, the pro-life movement, it needs to be, we value all life, right? So if you are looking at, you know, and that also means we value the lives that are, that are living right now you know, not just looking at, you know, unborn children. If you're looking at a pro-life movement, one life doesn't have value over the other. All life is sacred, right? So if you are looking at, you need this in order to live, then they're saying, okay, then go ahead and get the vaccine. But that's a, that would be a conversation that you would have to have with your doctor and with your pastor and make the best decision for you. 
I will say I've already gotten my vaccine. I am, I grew up with nurses, so I'm, I'm pro-medicine in some things and not pro-medicine in other things. But uh, like I, I mean, at, at this point, it's, it's still experimental. You know, the U.S. was close, what, you know, I guess the beginning of our pandemic was March of last year. We're just coming out of a, of a year of like really, I think when we hit something like a thousand cases on a daily basis for several days is when they consider that the start of your, your pandemic. We're, you know, coming out on like just over a year. And so it's something that was developed very, very quickly. And, you know, that's always the issue with experimental medication, no matter whether it's coronavirus or whether you're taking a mm -hmm. cancer treatment or whether it's some other kind of experimental some people just want to adapt the wait and see and other people are like, let's go ahead and do it. Crazy uh, pioneers. Let's just say that. Well, I would much rather take the, you know, the vaccine of my own free will, knowing what I'm putting into my body, as opposed to having it tested on someone who doesn't even know about it. So. Mm, good call. Good call. Pfizer. We'll call them. We'll ask. But I'd love to have Robert Kennedy Jr. Just for him to speak about his truth, because we are into the. I'm going to speak about my truth. That phrase makes me laugh. Maybe for another time. Uh, and then the last question will be like, what do you see that the media, the mainstream media will be portraying religion slash evangelical Christians? Obviously, you know, whites are the like out of front of everything evil for the moment. Blacks are more called like liberators, especially here in Georgia. You should vote for Democrats. What do you see in the next five before Trump comes back, what do you see the religions? <laughs> if, he's, if he wins, I'm flying to Atlanta, wherever you are, and I'm going to have a glass of champagne with you. Because be we'll, pa we'll, 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 we'll pass it in the sky because I'll be flying somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure she, he calls you in uh, on the team for, you choose something. We'll, we'll like high five over the Atlantic <laughs> <laughs> but that's I mean if he's gonna win he's gonna take the evangelicals again and be like see come back so I don't know what um, Anderson Cooper the Cuomo the Vanity Fair and whatever article well, I mean you know and that's 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 the thing about the media is it's a business making enterprise they are going to to a certain extent, cater to their particular audience. And if you are of a certain political persuasion or religious persuasion, you're not necessarily going to go out and seek things that don't agree with your point of view. You're going to find things that affirm your point of view and make you feel like you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like I listen to NPR all the time. Very rarely do I turn it over to news radio and listen to Rush Limbaugh or uh, Bill O'Reilly or those guys, but didn't Rush Limbaugh pass away recently? Hopefully I won't be hearing him anytime soon. Cause uh, I said, uh, knock on wood. <laughs> he won't be around, but you, you're going, you are going to seek things that agree with your position because that's what feels good. Because if you, like, if I started listening to Fox news, which is probably not going to happen, or, you know, some of those other news stations, it's not going to change my mind anyway. It's just going to tick me off. Right. And so that I'm going to, you know, that's just human nature. You go toward the things that you agree with. And mm -hmm. so the media knows this. And so they're not going to change their format. You know, they're still going to 
portray news in the way that they portray news and people are going to listen to it. And if they like it, they're going to stay. And if they don't, they're going to find something else. You know, media holds a lot of sway, you know, the way that we, the way that media frames things, you know, it's, it's, it's made for, for mass consumption. And that's, that's what it is, right? A catchy headline, you know, get a click. Yeah. You know, and, and if you are already buying what they're selling, then you're just going to click on it a little bit faster. I'm going to ask you this because Adrian didn't want to buy it for me. Can you send me the mega hat? Because <laughs> I was like, every time I asked three friends who are flying to the US, they're like, there's no way. I was like, this is how woke people are. You can't even, a black woman is asking you to buy her a mega hat and you can't even buy it. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you can find one online. At that time, trust me, there was none online. <laughs> and then they're like, nope. <laughs> well, we've gotten into some really interesting discussions about like, well, what aspect of America are you trying to make great again? Because like I said, a lot of countries with the colonialist history have, have a lot of problems. So like, which, which of this part are, are we making great again? The Christian white uh, revivalists, you know, yeah. There are a lot of people that would agree with you. Uh, <laughs> hence the, the hat. But they're like, no, Alex, you're not funny. But I like to dispute when people are like so sure about something. And for me as well, when you can change my mind just because I'm not always right. But just having this, maybe because, yeah, I don't know, maybe it was the way I was raised, but if I'm not agreeing with you, it's fine. You know, it could be on really great questions of life and they could be on small things. I think that's one of the things that's missing is just this ability to have conversations where you disagree with each other. And, you know, when I taught, uh, taught world religion, like intro to world religion. And, and so I would start every semester with this concept of bracketing, like, you know, here, here are your beliefs right here in this bracket but understand that outside are a lot of other different beliefs, viewpoints, observations, and we're going to have conversations that are probably going to make you uncomfortable. Mm. We're going to talk about things that you've either never heard about, or you've never heard about discussed in this way, or people believe a vastly different, you know, system than you. And it's really important for me as your instructor that you are able to sit and listen and hold that space and you don't necessarily have to agree with them, you know, but it is important that you look at each other's humanity and, and be respectful of that. And, you know, we were able to have a lot of interesting conversations that, you know, a couple of times got heated, but it was still, you know, it was still a, a respectful, there was no name calling, there was no, okay. you know, slandering, there was, there was no, you know, insulting parentage. It was, you know, good conversation, good conversation. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I love growing up there like, oh, don't talk about politics and religion. I'm like, let me get in both of those. <laughs> My life is talking about things that make people uncomfortable. If I sit down next to you, if I sit next to you in a, in a, in a plane, like in an hour, I'll be like, so what are you doing in life? You teach. Okay, have a good day. And I'll put my <laughs> yeah no no I I don't I don't do anything I just I just travel in uh in uh you know the 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 cattle car of of economy class and just <laughs> you know that's that's all I do I I don't do anything 
But it was really interesting. And I hope for the people who know me, they obviously know my view on some of the things here. But it was great as well to have someone who studied it. And, and, and I think what um, I needed, it was not someone who has his or her opinion about something is to say like, data shows that this and this and that. Adrian, we talked about how Obama got elected for the first episode. And I was like, I don't have to respect Obama just because he's black. I just have to see his work. We spoke about everything. So I don't know if you want to give a shout out to Candace Owens or to Anderson Cooper or to Jenner. I don't know. Maybe they'll be listening. You don't know. I already gave my shout out to Nadia Brown. So if you guys want to read some really interesting things about how women are portrayed in politics, Nadia E. Brown. There you go. But for sure, I'll I'll, uh, link your work about the vaccine because that one was interesting as well. Yeah, thanks. Some people are still uh, intelligent. (laughs) Just including myself. Yes, of course. That's that's I only appear on the most intelligent show. (laughs) So what can we wish for you then for the next five years other than kids going to college and or succeeding in life? Yeah, (laughs) she's crossing her fingers by the way. (laughs) But uh, Uh, finishing. So I comp I take my comps in the fall, my comprehensive exams. And then I get started on my dissertation. So, Ooh, okay. Almost so, and it, it will be something with, you know, I've done a lot of studies on biblical literalism and how those attitudes affect ideas about policy. So that's probably where I'm going. I'll be reading those. All right. So I wish you a great day or afternoon. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I don't even know what time it is. Oh, do you want to see something in uh, Amarinho? Because I, I saw you speak a bit of Amharic. Oh, I do speak a little Amharic. So mm-hmm. I, I could say Amasaganalo, which is I thank knew you. it. <laughs> I, knew, I was I like, have, you should sing something. No, it's Amasaganalo. Yeah. <laughs> That's like what, what all the Ferrangis know. <laughs> oh, she knows it. That's a good one. Good. I mean, you know, I, I know enough that I can order food and I can, you know, barter really? in the marketplace, like, you know. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, quite impressive. Okay. Because it's not uh, a language, man. Uh, it is not. And when I worked uh, in some of the deaf schools, like the sign language is completely different too because of the alphabet. And I was like, oh, I am never going to learn this alphabet. <laughs> and I know three letters and that's how to spell my name. <laughs> This is for my friends who are Ethiopians that will understand all these years. I'm like, I'm a signal. It's like, Alex, do you, you can just try a sentence. I'm like, no, 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 no. So you're, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, and obviously wishing you the best. Cheers. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye.